0: Uh, My name is Wes, one of the pastors here. Excited to be with you as well. Um, Thanks for making this a priority in your week. We're going to do what we do each Sunday now. We'll look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible, Bible app, there's a Bible even under the chair in front of you. If you want to turn to our passage today, which is Matthew 22, starting at verse 1. And when you found that, if you stand together with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 22, Matthew writes this. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. And he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. If you're vegetarian or vegan, just fill in something else that sounds delicious to you. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers, burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come, so go to the street corners. And invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But the king came in to see the guests, and he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. That's God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us briefly and then we'll dive into this together. Spirit of God, would you now illumine the preaching of your word. Open eyes and ears and hearts to receive what it is you want to accomplish in each one of us. I believe, as your word tells us, when you send out your word, it doesn't return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. Oh, God, accomplish that purpose in each one of us today. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern our tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Well, it was a little less than five years ago now that the British royal family blessed the world, we could say, with yet another of its star-studded blockbuster weddings, this time with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, or H and M, as they affectionately, somewhat annoyingly, refer to one another. I don't know, It just to me, it sounds weird. The, uh, in, in written form, it kind of works. Uh, verbally spoken, I think it sounds silly, but we don't have time. As far as wedding invitations go, I mean this was the hottest ticket in town, right? You had um I mean a veritable who's who on the guest list. You had um like thousands of people showing up to attend all around. You have um uh, the 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 St. George's Chapel Windsor being held in the thing and then the supposedly the final Toll for the whole wedding, somewhere around 32 million pounds sterling for this thing. I mean, this is the hottest ticket in town. This is where everyone wants to be. Finding a ticket, getting one of these in your mailbox. This is like finding a golden ticket in your Willy Wonka bar. You want to be at this wedding. But imagine with me, if you can, that you get one of these invitations. One shows up in your mailbox here in the city. And then, how, how do you think it would sound to the happy couple? let alone to anyone who heard about it, if you get one of those invitations, you flip through your Google Calendar really quickly and then send your regrets because got work that day. Can't make it. Or imagine, even worse, you say you are coming. You check the will attend, fill in your plus one, but then on the day of the wedding, you just skip out because, I don't know, that grass in the backyard, it's not going to cut itself. Can you even imagine this? Like, like it's bad enough that you've wasted an invitation that someone else could have had if you really couldn't make it. But even more than that, what do you think that refusal to come communicates to the ones who've invited you? I'm asking because, as you heard, our passage today from Matthew's Gospel is all about an invitation to a royal wedding celebration as well. But here's the thing. When you come to see... What that wedding celebration in Jesus' parable is referring to, what quickly becomes apparent is that far more than a case study in like first century wedding etiquette, Jesus' parable here is actually a continued rebuke of the relig- religious rulers who were questioning him about his authority. Something we started looking at uh, a few weeks ago just before Easter. And, you know, presuming that maybe you don't. Remember what I talked about four weeks ago? Just very quickly to update you. Uh, Right after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he holds something of a furniture rearranging celebration in the temple courts. He's flipping tables. He's driving out the money changers with a whip, saying, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Unsurprisingly, religious rulers, they're not super excited or happy about Jesus' actions, and so the next day, as he's teaching in the temple courts, they kind of interrupt him. They come and question him, asking him by what authority he's doing all these things, hoping, in their minds, to either humiliate him publicly or polarize the crowd's response to him, depending on how he answers. I don't know if this is jogging your memory at all. But then, Jesus responds to them in a way that completely turns the tables on them revealing both his divine authority for the things he's doing, as well as telling these two stories, these parables, that exposed both the disobedience, as well as what amounted to piracy by the religious rulers in relation to their divine commission by God. Which leads us to this passage today in Matthew 22, which, as I say, it's a continuation of his response to them. So they are the them in verse 1, if you see there where now Jesus tells this third parable, which reads almost like a combination of the first two stories that Jesus told. Only now, as D.A. A. Carson puts it, instead of exposing the religious ruler's dereliction of duty, now this parable, he says, exposes the contempt with which Israel as a whole treats God's grace. Which is exactly why I think this passage still matters so much for you and for me today. Because if God the Father is the king in Jesus' parable, throwing this wedding celebration, and Jesus is the son or the bridegroom for whom this wedding celebration is being held, then an invitation to this wedding celebration represents God's invitation in the sending of Jesus into his kingdom. And how we respond to that invitation communicates everything about our heart's attitude towards the one who's invited us. And we see two responses to this invitation listed in Jesus' parable here that result in either refusing to come altogether or being refused to come. And in order that we might avoid either of those devastating results ourselves, I want to divide our time in this passage today, looking at both of those responses a little bit more deeply. So we'll talk about sinful regrets and then being regretfully dressed. Okay, Just these two things, sinful regrets regretfully dressed so if you've closed your bible your bible app could you open it again to that passage matthew 22 beginning at verse 1 follow along with me as we consider our own response to jesus kingdom invitation and what those responses reveal about our orientation towards the one who's invited us okay so let's look first of all at sinful regrets sinful regrets Now, maybe you already knew that a negative, a refusing response to uh, an official invitation, be that like a card that you get in the mail or an electronic invitation, refusing that request is commonly referred to as sending your regrets, right? Uh, It's simply just letting the person who invited you know, hey, thanks for the invitation. Uh, Regretfully... I want to inform you, I'm, I'm, I'm unable to attend. So, sending regrets, which is exactly the response we see this first group of invitees in Jesus' parable giving to the king's invitation to this wedding banquet there in verse 3. But as you keep reading and you look a bit more carefully, what quickly becomes apparent is that far more than just politely refusing this invitation, you know, that just saying, hey, regretfully, we're unable to attend, there's a smug indifference behind their refusal to come, even contempt towards the one who's invited them. Because as you see there in verse 5 and 6, look here, after sending a contingent of servants a second time to inform these guests that the banquet's ready. Come now, it's time. Some disregard the messengers entirely, just going off to what feels like common everyday tasks rather than attend, whereas others seize the servants and kill them. It kind of reminds me of that like opening scene from the film Gladiator when that emissary who's sent across the battlefield to the Germanic forces to kind of work out some kind of a surrender and he comes riding back on his horse without his head, to which the Roman general Maximus Riley remarks, they say no. Um, it feels kind of like that. But with that deeper understanding of like how they're responding in hand, hopefully what you're beginning to see is that Far more than just refusing a king's invitation, which is already something not done. That in itself would have been huge. Their refusal to come comes with a message of disregard and even violence towards the king. And so although, yeah, the king's response at first to send an army, burn their city, that might have sounded extreme. Hopefully now you see the king's not responding to a refused invitation. He's responding to really a threat of treason. And Jesus' point to the religious rulers was that that, although they had RSVP'd yes to God's promised coming kingdom, they too were now refusing to come to the kingdom celebration inaugurated by the coming of Jesus with both disregard and even violence, ultimately communicating the true orientation of their hearts towards God in refusing God's invitation in the sending of Jesus. Which is exactly why I said earlier that this third parable feels like a combination of the first two parables. For if you remember, there was a parable of two sons who said they would come and said they wouldn't go. And just like the religious rulers, you have this son who'd agreed to the father's request to go and work in the vineyard. But then on the work day didn't show up. So you've got that going on. But then also, the tenants in the vineyard. Similarly, there began when they consider themselves as owners rather than tenants. They too had ignored and even killed the emissary sent by the landowner to receive his fruit. So there's got some of those same elements put in here. The interesting there's even a further parallel to another of Jesus' parables that he tells in Luke 15, also about two sons, where there an elder brother who felt he'd earned his place in the father's house refuses to come into the celebration as his father comes out to invite him. All of which together, I think, is summed up perfectly in Jesus' mournful weeping over the city of Jerusalem, just a chapter later in Matthew's gospel, where Jesus cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets and kill those I sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. But that's Jesus' point to the religious rulers of his day. What about for you and for me? What does this what does this mean to us? What what does a refusal of God's kingdom invitation look like for you and for me today? Well, I mean, obviously, at first it could just look like an outright refusal of Jesus. But but maybe the question for us maybe is a little bit more complicated to answer at first because if we understand the message of the gospel as the invitation we say like you no know, that God in Jesus made a way to restore us to relationship with himself through the death and resurrection of his son. That's the invitation. My guess is the majority of us here this morning would say, right. Yeah, I've, I heard that invitation. I responded, yes. I said, yes, I'm coming. So, so I'm good, right? To which I would say, yes, absolutely you are. As long as access or entry into God's kingdom is about nothing more than checking the yes will attend box on a card or raising your hand in a service or coming forward at an altar call as long as that's all it means to have access into God's kingdom 100% you're good but if it's more than that if it means more than that then then all of a sudden my answer to you is going to be I don't know I don't know if you are Because here's the thing, I think for far too many of us in the church, we've made responding to the gospel invitation, access into the kingdom of God and his celebration as being about RSVPing for something later. We've made a reservation for something that's happening at some point in the future, right? At the end of time when Jesus returns, sets up the new heavens and the new earth, we've made our reservation for that by responding, yes, checking the will attend. And and that's certainly a part, Hear, hear me, that's certainly a part of what it means. But something I'd want to invite you to consider this morning is whether or not in preparation for that final day, we don't receive hundreds of kingdom invitations every single day. Invitations which we also refuse for equally lame reasons and at times, at sometimes, with violence. Why? Well, maybe because Jesus' invitation to invite others to be a part of the kingdom celebration as well. It feels embarrassing. I feel like humiliating. I don't want to look like a religious fanatic. Can I just like live out my faith? Because maybe at times in in Jesus, inviting us to persevere in a difficult relationship, work towards reconciliation with someone with whom we're in conflict, persevering with a difficult or wayward child, it just feels like it's too much effort. I don't want to put in the time. Or maybe even just at a bigger level. Jesus' invitation to doing things like abandoning your comfort levels, what feels comforting to you, and moving your whole family across the world to serve in Papua New Guinea to serve the mission of the kingdom there. That's just that's asking way too much. Are you kidding me? I've got a life here. I've got a career. I've got everyone set up that's asking way too much. See what I mean? Whatever it is. And in the millions of different ways in which they come, all I'm saying is that For many of us, unlike the religious rulers, hey, we've said yes to Jesus' kingdom invitation. Great. But have then ignored what it means to now be a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. And as a result, we refuse his many other invitations to come with all the same disregard and violence with which the religious religious rulers had ignored and refused Jesus. So that's sinful regrets sending in our sinful regrets a refusal to come not only to jesus initial kingdom invitation but to the hundreds of other kingdom invitations he's inviting each one of us into every single day places where we're invited to continue bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven last thing i want to look at together with you is what it means to be regretfully dressed being regretfully dressed and where you see that is in the concluding section of this parable which kind of looks like almost an unnecessary add-on because hasn't jesus already made his point to the religious rulers Why, why go on any further well the answer is yes he has and yet something important to remember is that although yeah jesus is responding to the religious rulers they've questioned his authority here in this temple courts and he's responding to their question they aren't the only ones present for this conversation Right? For remember, they're giving him this question about his authority in the context of while he's teaching in the temple courts. So there's a whole other group around, which means far more than an unnecessary add-on. It means Jesus has something else important that he wants to communicate about entrance into his kingdom. Now, to those who do respond positively to his invitation to come. He's got something to say to them as well. So look at verse 8. And following this violent refusal of those who were first invited to the wedding banquet, we see the persistent, gracious heart of the king to want to continue to go forward with the banquet celebration. He still wants to put it on for his son, regardless of whether those who were first invited don't want to show up. He's still just graciously like, let's do it. We're still going to put on this celebration, which I think shows something really beautiful, a really beautiful picture about the heart of God the Father, which I actually want to come back to as we close in a minute. But as you see now in verse 9 and following, in response to this refusal, the king now sends his servants to go out to the street corners and invite in anyone they can find. Bring in everybody. Look at verse 10. He says, "Even, even the good and the bad. Bring in everyone you can find until every seat in my banquet hall is filled. A few things to note quickly. First of all, that word translated as street corners literally means the places where the main highways go out from the city and into the country. So places, as Leon Morris notes, where poor people tended to congregate, people, he says, who would not at all expect to find themselves as guests of a royal banquet. He says, go out and bring in those people. Secondly, when Jesus talks about welcoming in both the good and the bad, what he means is bringing in those whom the religious rulers would have deemed as acceptable in polite Jewish society and those who would they would have thought would be completely unacceptable to feast with. Jesus says, The king says, bring in all of them. I want all of these people in my wedding banquet until the hall is filled and the sounds of joy and laughter, feasting, music fill the air. But now look here at verse 11. We get this strange section right at the end, this kind of appendix almost, where the king notices a man not dressed in wedding clothes. Verse 12, he questions him about it, and by verse 13, he's tied hand and foot, presumably so he can't try to get back in, and thrown out of the banquet. Which, man, I don't know if it's the same for you. I read that, and it almost just sounds like, wow, that's a pretty harsh response to like a dress code violation. Like, what What's going on here? And, and it kind of takes all those things that seem good and gracious about the king and sours them a bit in our minds, doesn't it? Well, I think Tim Keller is helpful here in his explanation, he often is, I find, of what's going on in this random, otherwise rash encounter. He says this, if you look at verse 3 and 4, the original guests were invited to come in having been already invited. In other words, they were all ready. But if you look carefully at verse 10, it says, so the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So they weren't making reservations. They came right in, and therefore, none of them could have possibly had their own wedding garments with them. First, because they came right in, they didn't go home. Secondly, because many of them would have been poor and wouldn't have had them. Therefore, the king must have provided the wedding garments for them at his own expense. Which means now here in this short appendix of sorts to Jesus' story, we have one of the most profound teachings of the Christian faith. Because at first it almost sounded as though in his great desire to hold the banquet, King's just throwing off all standards whatsoever. Just bringing anybody you can find. I just want warm bodies and seats. That's all I care about. But now we see, no, he very much did still have standards, but but standards which he'd also made a gracious provision for, for all who would come. Anyone who would come, I'm, I've got what you need to be right here at the door for you. A teaching the Bible commonly refers to as, or we understand as, a teaching called gifted righteousness. That God the Father in sending Jesus was providing everything necessary for our entry into His kingdom at His own expense. He was providing the robes for us to wear to the celebration. That's a gift that you see hinted at in places like Ezekiel 16, where in response to an unfaithful, defiled people of Israel, God says this, I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you, put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. And in places you see this same teaching throughout the New Testament as well, places like where the Father... Clothing his prodigal son in fine robes and a ring upon returning to the father, Luke 15. Or the staggering picture in Revelation 19 of the great multitude shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So kind of circling back here, why was this man bound and refused entry? Well, as we see, it had nothing to do with his like, clean record or, or having not, not high enough standing in society. Remember, none of the invited guests had that. It had everything to do with his making use, or in this case, not making use of, the gracious means already provided by the king to be welcomed in. Which means... As we think about how to apply this to our lives today, it means the question every single one of us needs to ask ourselves when we think about ourselves as being citizens of the kingdom, as being welcome to this celebration, the question we need to ask ourselves is, well, whose clothes am I wearing? Who am I wearing? As I think about gaining access into the king's banquet, am I coming wearing my own robes? based on what I think are my good enough efforts in order to be accepted and welcomed into his celebration, or the robes of the one who's already earned my entrance into his kingdom in full. Do you know whose robes you're wearing today? Or to put it another way, what Jesus is telling us is that there's a way of rejecting God's invitation by refusing to come altogether, and there's also a way of rejecting God's invitation by presuming you can gain access into his kingdom by your own means by your own efforts, by your own attire, as it were, as opposed to the means with which God himself has graciously provided for you. Whose robes are you wearing? So we began this morning talking about invitations and how uh, the way we respond to that invitation communicates our true heart attitude towards the one who has invited us. What I want to highlight in closing here this morning is what this parable reveals about God's invitation to us and also what it reveals about the nature and character of God himself. And I want to talk particularly to anyone here today or anyone listening to this later who has never responded to God's kingdom invitation before. Because as we saw in Jesus' parable, the king's invitation is faithfully and persistently held out to those who persistently refuse it, right? And yet, did you notice what seemed to lead to their refusal of the invitation? Eventually, their contempt towards the king was ultimately, why? Because they believed what they had already was better than what the king was offering. I've got my business. I've got my field. I've got what I need. I don't need to go to that. And I wonder if for someone listening to this right now, that's not the reason that you've you've refused the kingdom invitation as well. Maybe your life Maybe your health, maybe your bank account statement just looks really good right now. Looks good. You're living in one of the most beautiful, affluent cities in the world. Life is good, right? I mean, I've literally, like, heard people say this to me before in response to God's kingdom invitation. They've, they've said, like, what could God offer me that I don't already have right now? My life's good. What, what? Have faith, take that on. Why would I want to do that? And yet, here's the thing, I bet you every one of those same people, regardless of what they think about the monarchy or Mary and Meghan, they would have accepted that invitation to their wedding in a second without even thinking about it. Why? Well, because they would have had a clear picture in their minds of the kind of like extravagance and beauty and luxury and feasting that a celebration like that would involve. And so they would easily accept that invitation, no matter how much they had already in their in their bank account or in their whatever, they would have accepted that invitation easily. And it makes me wonder if maybe one of the reasons you're refusing God's kingdom invitation today isn't because you don't have that same clear picture of what's being offered to you in Jesus. Honestly, way too many people, you, you ask them what they think about the Christian faith, like what would you think about Jesus' offer and his invitation, and, and, and you come to realize that what they're refusing is actually not Christianity at all. It's a parody. It's, a, it's an SNL skit complete with, like, bad music, bad food, and bad hair. All the, all the problems of this present life now, but with an addition of a bunch of rules and regulations that are going to make life even harder and less enjoyable. Here's Christianity. Let me get my sign-up sheet. Who, who's, who would like that? Who wants to sign up for that? <laughs> like, who, who wouldn't refuse that? No, thanks. And yet look again at Jesus' parable and the way he describes what you're being invited to. A royal wedding banquet. Feasting. The finest of clothes. Celebration at a level that would make Harry and Meghan's wedding look like a birthday party at McDonald's. And then not only that, like so much more than that. Forgiveness. A clean conscience partnership, friendship, loyalty, purpose, and value, things no amount of money could ever buy for you. Hope in this life, no matter what you face, and life like you can't even imagine in the life to come, that's what's being offered to you. That's what you're being invited into. Honestly, is there anything you have right now, anything you're holding that sounds better than that? Notice as well the breadth of God's invitation in verses 9 and 10. How the invitation goes out to all, regardless of wealth, or class, or sex, or or present morality, or past moral failure. It goes out to all. All are invited to come, and with the attire needed to attend, freely provided for you at the door. Maybe for someone else, the reason you refuse God's invitation isn't because you don't think there's something great being offered, but because you had no idea you were invited to begin with. Someone with with your past, with your sexuality, with your whatever, fill in the blank. People like me aren't invited to that. Which ultimately, that's not a failure on your part, that's a failure on our part. That's on us as the church, for, for not spreading the invitation as widely as the king intends for it to be spread. Kind of being gatekeepers, deciding for God who we think would be acceptable guests for this kingdom. That's on us. So my final word to you on all this is this if you're here today and you've never accepted God's kingdom invitation before I would just say first of all really know what you're refusing before you pass on it and then know that you are 100% invited doesn't matter your past present anything else you are 100% invited you've got the email in your inbox you're invited love for today to be the day that you come And if you're here today and you have accepted God's kingdom invitation in Jesus, I would say, first of all, may we not refuse his many other kingdom invitations that he's inviting us into today and in the days to come. May we respond yes and come when he calls. May we have greater clarity ourselves about what it is we're inviting people into. When you share the invitation of Jesus, you're not inviting people to church. You're not inviting them to a list of rules and regulations for them to follow. You're inviting them into a royal wedding celebration, feasting. That's what you're inviting people to. And lastly, may we have a breadth in who we deliver the invitation to, as wide as the king intended it. Amen.